0: There you go, eh? Yep. Episode, I think, seven. Game episode seven. Is another one from the Ute, because the last one was from the Ute too. Yeah. When we did the hunting comp. Guest today is Andrew Saliba.
1: Did
0: I say
1: that right? Yeah, that's the one. Andrew Saliba. So, Kay's come down to... North East Victoria for another sandbar hunt.
0: Just the, the quick sneaky one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I suppose you had to tell on how the, the hunt started off yesterday morning.
0: Oh that was <laughs> cold. Bloody cold. Oh but good result. Yeah. Went out and wasn't really expecting to get off too quick. I like, wasn't expecting to anything off right off the bat. But I got proven wrong very quickly.
1: <laughs> so put up a couple of stags in the first bloody hundred metres. Two young stags together? Yeah. And then um, sort of move through system, system halfway up the gully. Probably half an hour after daybreak. Come across three irons. Probably another hundred meters up. Would you say?
0: Yeah. Hello? If that. Uh,
1: and we've uh, kept sort of contouring along that same height there off the fringe. Cody, I and uh, another friend of ours, Hayden, we're just sitting there having a listen and you can hear a few deer in the gully below us. So, um, <coughs> Cody and I split off from Hayden. Hayden went down to the bottom and contoured along below them and Cody and I sat up in the gully and because of the thick fog. <laughs> bloody yeah, um, We're sitting there, clearest bit we could have and next thing you know, you to see a whole heap of deer but he coming through, below us, probably only 40 or 50 metres um, below where we were sitting and you just couldn't see you just see the glimpses of their body through the fog and we didn't have much time so Cody and I could head back up to the rear, uh, up along the um, little bit of a track above us and contour it back into the next gully where we would come from before and just as we're coming around the bend, the young young stag spiker is just about to cross over the the, uh, the track that we were using to get around on and think you tell him
0: what happened next after that. <laughs> so I, walked, what I could see was his neck in the top of his head. I went oh he'll be good at eating and obviously I have to do a headshot on him so line him up real quick with the sort of a bit overkill for a headshot using the 3-3A but <laughs> down he went
1: so yeah, uh, another successful morning but, um, Had him up in the courtroom by 30. <laughs> it's always handy. Oh, yeah, very handy. So you've done, you've been down three times now hunting samba? Three samba hunts and two have been successful. Yeah. So what, out of what you've done so far, I guess um, we've done a bit of glassing up in the sort of steeper country. Yeah. And we've done a bit of stalking now, I guess, um... Give you a bit of, the, I knew both of them, walking them up, and shot that spike from. Him.
0: would have been 40 metres do you reckon? Yeah if, if not closer. It's about bow range. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to go on with both I
1: And how about you stag last time, what distance did you um, spot him from that you
0: shot Do a bit more glassing? Oddly enough we were spotting stags and things from like, you know, up to 2-3k two, two, away. Yeah. But the one that I ended up getting, he was only like a hundred metres away. Yeah. Like he was, we were just walking back to the the end of the day and he was just just there in range. He was a mongrel head that they wanted to call out so I was happy to oblige.
1: So we obviously hunt salmon most weekends and there's no right or wrong way to do it. Obviously um, everyone has different preferences. The field to find good glass in country, that country we hunted that weekend was pretty awesome. we seen, was it 70 odd deer for two days or a day and a half?
0: Class? Well, yeah, so I, I laid half a quick look, a full day hunting, then the morning, so probably about two days, and counted up 75. It's good numbers of deer, but, um, and then you've got the stalking
1: where you probably, you know, at times might not see as many deer. But, you know, for me, I've always done I've done a lot of stalking, walking them up, really for the adrenaline when you, you come up to them so close, like they're right, right there in front of you sometimes. Um, so there's always that level of excitement there, and then to trade off with the glass, and you're sitting there for hours and upon hours, and um, you sort of just need to have that patience to be able to just sit there and wait and know that you're in the right spot, I suppose. The country and the scenery
0: make it easier. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like the just how breathtaking the high country is! I like get it, it make, makes it easier. <laughs> if, if there's no deer there. It's still something good to look at. Yeah, so, it's just a different part of the world. Like it's completely different from what I'm used to. Yeah, yeah. So out
1: of our two hunts that we've done together, would you say you prefer more the um, walking them up or sitting back and glassing, it? sort of being a bit more selective?
0: I like I like the glassing. Yeah, because you can you can sit there, you can judge. And, you know, you're like, you can just sit there watching them do the thing where if you bush bash and you sort of only get a quick glimpse, you only got a split sec- second decision to make. Yeah, definitely. The little experience I've had with it. Yeah. It's uh, it's all about the
1: areas. You're in, like, we've hunted a range of, you know, private property and uh, boarding onto a bit of alpine and even state forest as well. Would you say you clearly notice the difference between the... Um, first hunt you
0: did hunting state forest and then yeah there's a huge difference between hunting public land and going onto a private block there's the scale tip a lot <laughs> give us an idea of the
1: numbers now and now the time you've spent so you, your state forest hunt with the club yep. and now our first hunt glassing and now our second hunt stalking uh, just so people have an idea I guess Okay, I mean, yeah, I like how many hours Have I spent all together Which is like the numbers Well on that Between those trips I suppose Oh Yeah so that's 75
0: on that trip Then add On 4 From the First trip Or technically 3 Because I only saw 3 And I like, had heard of 4th Yep So I that 75, 75 78 And then Add the 6 From yesterday Yeah. That's
1: pretty amazing It's like the numbers Of salmon these days Compared to you. Like my father, he's been hunting them for you know 30 odd years or whatever. It was a struggle just to find one deer back then, but now like you look, we took off from the um, Polaris this morning, or yesterday morning. Rather, there's just fresh tracks everywhere. Yeah. The sign is um you know even the deer you see it's probably only you know one tenth of
0: what's actually out there, which is um pretty amazing when you think about how much country that they've covered. Yeah. I can hear all the, the old fellas I've interviewed. i like interviewed Dave Young, for, and he was talking about how, like back when he started hunting, like it was just hard going. But nowadays, it's like it's, it's the it's the better days of deer hunting is now.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, whether
1: or not it's going to um, keep getting better, or if the government steps in and um, you know tries to change that, we're not sure. But I think we got to make the most of what we can.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. Victoria's got things better under control because of how much access you can get. In New South Wales you only got set sort of areas. Yeah. I feel like there's more public land access in Victoria and there's more opportunities here than any other state. So yeah, I know, think it's there. Much, much of a
1: difference between the people you've come across in each state? Um like farmers. You met a few farmers down this way now that locks worth hunted
0: on. Yeah, well I've seen the farmers around, he seem, they seem to hunt themselves. but like They seem to, like, don't mind doing the bit of hunting where, back at home, where the country isn't as rugged. Yeah. Where you can just mostly do things out of a vehicle. They just, like, they just view things as a pest and just have to be controlled where, yeah, here they still do the damage. They seem to be uh, admired a little bit more. Yeah. Which is probably um, partly to take why they've done so well with
1: their spread, I suppose. Um, So many hunters, and gives the animal a bit of a um, sort of. I mean, gives him a bit of a foothold because people don't mind having a few deer on their property. You know, children now growing up hunting them. Yeah. um, Like up here in Corrong, where we are right now, passing through the town of Corrong. Yeah, every young bloke's got a rifle and, uh, you know, young fellas like ourselves getting out there and doing it, which is good, and it's, um, it's a good excuse to stay away from the city and sort of just enjoy what, um, what's natural, I guess, hey? Yeah, i travel
0: from out back to New South Wales just to get down here, so. How <laughs> many hours drive was it the other night? Oh, I would have be at nearly, buddy, seven on the dot. Yeah. The things we do for hunting, hey? <laughs> Oh, but, you know, for the country and the people I get to hang out with, it's worth it. Yeah. Like, I give invite, like, I'm going home with 2 eight, but I've more or less decided because the deer out of control. Like, I was going to be a bit pig more piggier on the Samba. Like, if I saw a, a Samba Hawaiian, I my main goal for that was to try to get a photo of it. But I knew there was a heap of fallow in the area, so I just sort of more or less decided, well... They're about out of control, so I won't hurt the buddy. Knock one of them over. Yeah, and they always took him a nice buck too. Almost,
1: but <laughs> I have to fill um, fill everyone in on a bit
0: of jobs with the right on yeah. that one. Like? <laughs> so I, sh- I shot a, like a, a yearling buck. Like he hadn't, he hadn't even started growing antlers yet. And I just packed him out, finished packing him out. I was walking along the fringe, and a buck sort of jumped out and stood broadside. Buddy, I thought I chambered around, but the bolt, the bolt didn't catch the bullet and, and chambered it properly. So like I had an empty chamber. Uh, put the buddy cross his square on his shoulder and click. By the time I worked out what was going, what went wrong, and finally got a bullet in the chamber, he, he was already gone. The only time that will happen is when there's a stag. Never happen when there's a hind there, but
1: uh, just the way things work sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but that's honey. Yeah, no, definitely. So, what's your um? Any plans for your future samba hunting? What do you wanted to what are you gonna do next?
0: I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> sort of, sort of go off the flow when it comes
1: to samba hunting. Yeah. Probably, um, you know, you've got that fringe hunting that you do, sort of a bit lower down, just sort of within, you know, a kilometre of the the farm blocks and, and up into the forest, and then. Like we've done our glassing, probably the next one is right up in the tops. Sort of during what's that summer, um, summer grass sort of starts growing up high, and all the snow's melted off, and you get the fresh the wildflowers and all that. And these big, mature stags seem to move up into those sort of you know 14, 1500 meter elevation heights. That's a, um, another sort of exciting hunt for me. That's probably one of the most difficult ones. Physically, it's difficult country, but. Um, Hunting the deer in that country is difficult, very little sign compared to what you generally find, you know, in the French country. Uh, and I don't think it's specifically due because of the numbers. I think it's more about the feed quality. Yeah, well, at, at times, but the deer aren't living there all year. Well, so they're, they're constantly moving around of Yeah, they move up and they move down and with the weather, and you know, think you have to get those snow around this time here in sort of July. And that holds on through until sort of late september october sometimes and then sort of the good feed only starts to come real good through so that november or december time it holds through around that april may so you're looking okay. at about half the year solid um, sort of time that the deer are up high yeah whereas down low they're, they're there all year round yeah so, right uh, it's a bit hard to get a gauge on their movements and, yeah the country can be very different to towards a lot of fallen timber but um, on those sort of faces, you get a lot better glassing as well, so it's a bit of a catch-22 there. That's uh, that's another sort of style hunting. For me, that's probably the most exciting because you always think that there's a good chance of finding that mature animal that you're after, I guess. Yeah. Sort of the fringe country with these days a lot of spotlighting and, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on on all the private properties because, you know, there is a lot of access and uh, farmers are pretty happy. People go on and have walk around so yeah. they do get a lot more pressure. Um, so yeah, sort of just about getting away from that pressure and getting somewhere. Where at least you think no one else
0: is hunting, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I well, well, remember on my first Samba hunt, we were we'll go into an area where um, one guy had been before. Yeah, and we'll go there because we thought it was a, it was a low pressure area. That was from your club, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was with the Ada. of yeah we'd go this way to cause it'd be not as much pressure as the new area so so do a bit of an exploration mission as well yeah but that night when we set up camp you could look around the valley you can see buddy camp was all about the place so obviously it wasn't as well hidden as it was thought to be
1: yeah well that's I've, it i've backpacked into country before in multiple days and- I'll be, you know, stalking along a river flat or something like that. And I've, I've ran into other people backpacking into the same area before, so... Um, yeah, you're going to try pretty hard to find an area that's not getting looked at these days. A the number of hunters, you know, you look at alone in Victoria and then all the hunters travelling out from New South Wales and, and further, whether it's Queensland or, I've, you, know, you know, quite a few fellas from South Australia that, that love to chase this amber as well. Just particularly, you know, there's people coming from everywhere, I guess, and it all adds up.
0: So. Back, I think it was about during the Red and to Deer right Yep. You nearly destroyed the, the Facebook. <laughs> you only with, uh, with one photo.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's Sam's stag there. A friend of mine shot. A young fella from um, from Melbourne actually. He's never, not done a lot of hunting, but. Uh, Sometimes you just need that little bit of luck and also that set of antlers there is something that you just have to see to to um, grasp how big it actually is. Um, everyone that I've I've shown it to um, sort of just in awe of the the sheer weight of the antlers. Um, there's been a sort of spoken a bit about this other one, the Streckers one I think it is, and that's um you know another one in that sort of that same class of weight they reckon you know it'd be interesting to have a look and see but you think about how many hunters there are how many deer getting shot like we've said and, and how many areas are getting looked at and still to find an animal like that is so difficult yes yeah. um, you know you have to look at if you look at thousands of animals like you know on a weekly basis we're looking at up to hundred deer most weeks and um, yeah, I mean it's it's difficult to find a mature stag alone let, a, let alone a something with that sort of mass and weight and, and yeah so on his short side he goes just over 31 inches long and 33 on the um on the longer side it's a bit sort of he does relax a little bit with his spread It's only 28 wide but um it's something you know when you do hold him irrelevant of all It might not have the longest inners or longest outers or longest brows or biggest spread it's um uh, there's something else with his head when you hold him, the, the weight of the antlers is actually just under 10 kilograms. So it gives just you, the antler. Just the antlers, so it gives, gives you an idea of how heavy he is. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing, he just goes all the way through,
0: it doesn't stop, you know, sometimes you get heavy bases and he sort of narrows out, this guy's just heavy all the way through. Yeah, like when, like when I first saw that photo, and it, like the thing that caught me right away was the thickness and the weight of it. Yeah. And I was showing, I was showing it to people, and they, they couldn't get the head around it, because it, is not that well known. as this oh, that, that's that's a very thick-looking red deer or whatever. Just no one really knows anything. That photo doesn't do it justice either.
1: Like it looks, you, know, you can tell that he's heavy from the photo, but until you hold him in real life, it just, um, it just doesn't do it justice. My father's got um, a friend, Hank Kochen, his name is. He's a fella that's been hunting Sambar for years. You know. Close to 40 or 50 years. He's um he's 92 years old at the moment, and my dad took it the to head to show him. Um, he's in a nursing home up in Woodend, I think. And he's yeah he's always one of those people that have always loved to look at the different people's trophy rooms, and you know he's shot a lot of big stags himself. And obviously just being around hunting for so long has had the opportunity to look at so many different stags. And uh, when he saw this one, he <laughs> His first words were he never thought that they could grow that big in Australia, full stop. So, uh, you know, hearing something like that from someone that's so experienced at hunting for so long, so that of you can, um,
0: yeah, that sort of gives it a fair bit of meaning, I suppose. Yeah. As to how many years. So, I'll ask my main question I ask everyone how did you get into hunting? Yep. So, I was pretty lucky
1: to be born into sort of hunting, I guess. My father's always been a hunter since, you know, he tells the stories of when he was five or six and seven years old, walking around with his uncles and brothers and his father chasing rabbits with ferrets, so, um, yeah, we've sort of grown up, me and I've got actually four brothers and two sisters, we're all into outdoors stuff, and sort of for us, it's, it is like, you know, for a lot of hunters, it's not just a hobby for us, it's our way of life, so, you know, it's photos of me, nappy still on hound hunts with my father, and I remember my mum used to come and we will all camped down maybe in the Buckland Valley or wherever my dad was hunting the hounds for that weekend and everyone would go down. It, was, it wasn't yeah, just my dad would head off, it was a family thing. We all, all went away and you know, from that I've been pretty lucky to be surrounded by um, you know a lot of awesome people and good people around me and I've been able to learn from them and um, slowly but surely developed into yeah sort of chasing primarily start off with a samba so i remember the first day i got my license uh the day i turned turned 18 on the 4th of april being the red deer right i'd packed my car i went got past the tests went home packed my car and then went hunting for the whole weekend so (laughs) um, gives you an idea of how keen i am but sort of um yeah it's just sort of gradually growing from there chasing different species and the beauty of, of hunting is it takes you to so many beautiful places and you know all across Australia and, and New Zealand hunting I've hunted the North and the South Island now um yeah in the future there's nowhere that I don't want to hunt i love to see all the different places and, and hunt all the different game animals there are um yeah I've got a bit of a goal to get the South Pacific um Grand Slam which is 15 game animals across New Australia and New Zealand so we've got the uh, Whitetail and um, Wapini to go, so if and probably down the mainland or Stewart Island in New Zealand, and um, yeah, see from there, hopefully next year, start targeting a few of the American species as well, which is quite exciting, I guess. Yeah, everyone sort of gets introduced to hunting, you know, through different ways, whether it's friends, family, or, or just something you... You've come across and decided to give it a go, but generally you find a lot of people. Once you get bitten by the bug, they say it's um, it's hard to sort of look at anything else. Really, everyone's you, know, you fall in love with what honey is. These days, there's plenty of drama and, uh, online, and there's plenty of um, you know everyone thinks hunting should be done this way or hunting should be done that way. or You know, if you don't do it a certain way, it's not the right way, but most importantly is that you just get out and you join it i suppose that's the
0: way i see it so my um, way of looking at it is it doesn't matter what how you do it as long as it's, it's ethical and legal yeah and just hunters gotta support hunters like yeah. no matter no matter the method whether you're you... a rifle houndsman or bow hunter like you've all got to you've all got to back each other yeah no it's that definitely support support each other and,
1: um, end of the day you know it's much jealousy and, and stuff like that in it it's it's easier far easier to just be happy for someone that's um that's done well whether they've shot their first year or they've shot their personal best you know 30 inch sand stag. either way it's it's nice just to be happy for people that they're getting out there enjoying uh uh-huh. yeah sort of sharing a common interest yeah obviously that's how i've met you and you know you meet a lot of different people when you've got you share such a you know such a, um, a love for the same interest. It's easy to connect with with people that, that have got that same interest. And, uh, yeah I've been lucky to meet so many awesome people all across Australia, overseas. You're not a bad fellow yourself, there, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: appreciate that.
1: But um, yeah, no, I think that's the beauty of hunting. There's, there's so much to it. Yeah,
0: righto. Hardest hunt. My hardest hunt. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've got a view
1: (laughs) yeah that's uh, that's a very tough question to answer on the spot but uh, I'd probably start I'd go with this year actually um, a recent one you know can rattle off the top of my head pretty well in the fellow rut Uh, another friend of mine backpacked in so we were driving It's about five hours away from, from home for me and my friend and We've driven three and a half hours there, and this is where the difficult part started. And when my friend came and picked me up, he's taken his bow out and he's put it on me lawn, and he actually hasn't put it back in the ute, but we've only realized that. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> three hours away from Melbourne, so I quickly got on the phone to my younger brother and my cousin and offered them fuel money and $100 each to drive the bow up, <laughs> so that way we weren't buggered and um we're pretty lucky that that's what they did they drove up and they dropped the bow off to us and we continued on to rather than waste the morning we walked in in the night so we had roughly a um close to 10 kilometer walk in the good thing is this area is not very steep so it's quite flat country um so it's the, the distance is 10 kilometers, isn't too tough, mind you, you've still got all your gear, your pack and, and um, your media, sleeping equipment, what the usual stuff you have in a backpack on. Now this area here also you can't get access to um, clean drinking water, so we carried in a fair bit of water with us and um, that added to a fair bit of extra weight. But on the day, we spent three days in there and the third day for me was... Up there, the toughest days that I've ever put in in the bush started, you know, well before daybreak, and I, I headed off. And I, uh, as the sunrise was coming, I was on a few stags there croaking, and we had it uh, would have been five or six stags around me where I was within sort of 80 to 100 meters. And I'm there in prickles and got prickles in my hands and all with my clothes, and just laying down flat, with my rifle set up with the bipod. Now there was one really nice stag in that group, and he was the furthest one away of course. I had a couple other little stags almost walk right over me and um, was lucky that they didn't spook the rest of them. I was lucky enough to take the nice stag out of that group in the morning and then I continued on my hunt. By around 12 o'clock I made it back to camp. I'd, um, I found another beautiful stag which I didn't actually shoot myself. I did have my friend with me and I'd already taken two stags on that hunt so um, by 12 o'clock I'd covered 15 k's for the morning um, I'd gone back to camp and caught up with my hunting partner on the hunt and I convinced him to put his bow away <laughs> for that last afternoon I only had uh, three bullets left for my rifle so <laughs> I'd given him my rifle and me three bullets and we plan to um, head back to the area where I finished up and look for that stag that we'd seen that afternoon. So, as you can imagine, it was a fair distance away to get to this uh, to where this stag was, covered the ground slowly. Uh, it's fairly warm temperatures up there, so even that time of year, is getting to the mid to high 20s. Uh, We've got in there and sort of waited, killed a little bit of time in the afternoon. And we knew where there was some water from the morning where I'd, I'd come across, so we went and had a look at this water and we kept coming across stag after stag after stag, but wasn't wasn't the one from earlier that day. And I knew where his running pad was, so he wanted to save that as a last resort. And um, you could hear a couple deer croaking. And depending on where you were, it was very difficult to, to gauge exactly where they are, where they were croaking. So we're heading one direction, and we're getting halfway there, and all of a sudden he's gone quiet, and then you can hear a stag croaking exactly where it sounds like you've just come from. So we're running out of light, going back and forth and we've gone stuff it. We're going to go for this running pad, and hopefully that's where he is, and we actually hit his running pad maybe 15 minutes before last light, and he was there with another two stags. Um, We put him up from only 40 metres away, and we've um, wasn't really a clear shot. You can only see part of his neck. Now, the rest of his body was covered by trees and and whatnot,
0: and
1: he's taken off a little bit, and then he's got to probably 80 metres away, and he's given us a clear shot, we were both laying down, um, my mate set up the bipod and got around into him, he knew straight away that this was a stag, he's two beautiful symmetrical palms, heavy and just a really mature buck um, exactly what you're after for a trophy animal and um, yeah the first shot slowed him right down didn't drop him um, but slowed him down enough for us to get in and, and get another shot into him again he sort of didn't want to, didn't want to die. They're pretty tough in the rut. Um, he's kept going, and with that last bullet on last light, uh, my friend was lucky enough to take that stag, and then it was sort of all smiles and it was pretty, yeah, uh, pretty rewarding hunt after three days and putting all that effort into, you know, covering all those kilometres. Um, and then that for me that was only the start of the hunt for that day. It covered probably close to 25 kilometres for that day by this time. Um, so it's around that sort of 7 o'clock six thirty time of the day and then I had to head back out to go pick up the car so <laughs> I've um, I've dropped off a bit of gear whatever I can and <clears throat> uh, my friends walked out to another area where I, I could pick him up from and I've made the long journey back to the car I started off running and and um, ran all the way to a big river and for some reason I didn't take my boots off to cross this river which was in the dark I had a backpack with me and I've tried to use one hand to keep the backpack out of the water. I had my phone and a few other valuables in there and um, I've tried to swim across and anyone that's tried to swim across a river with your boots on knows that's not a bloody good idea. So it was like having two bricks on um, two bricks on my feet and I was yeah, I'm pretty lucky I think <laughs> that I made it through that river. It was a big river and um, I was pretty lucky to make it through and you know, made it across the other side and Kept on my journey to the car, and by the time I reached the car around ten thirty or eleven o'clock that night, um, I'd done just on thirty-five kilometres for the day. So my feet, I was cramping up, just walking, and my feet were bloody sore and um, dehydrated and hungry and everything that you could imagine after a big day like that. And yeah, I think um, that's what fair yeah, for me that that sort of hunt is it's just as re- like the most rewarding um, knowing you've put in that, that effort and you've also you know you've you've got that reward uh, being able to have those awesome hunts and, and awesome moments getting in close and, and mature bucks croaking and you know taking a mature animal as well so yeah I think that sort of sums up some of what it's only only one of many hunts like that but yeah it's um, it's good one sort of for people to, to realise the effort that goes in on on some of these hunts, I guess, to, to take animals like that,
0: of that class. It's not buddy or buddy point and shoot shoot like buddy. <laughs> some animal liberationists think <laughs> there's some hard work that goes in
1: the wood. Mind you, take the easy ones um, when you get them, but yeah, usually that ain't
0: oh, easy. Oh, I, I did that over, over the all day yesterday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, the beauty of hunting, eh?
0: Yeah. out.
1: Uh, so nice, I've just picked up Cody's. Um, young star, little spiker from
0: yesterday. Loader in the youth. I uh, picked up from the cool room at a friend's
1: house. It's look nice to have access to facilities like that when you're way up the bush, so you can look after your meat and,
0: and all that. Especially if you're young you want to take advantage of it. Yeah. if you got a brother who's a chef, hey? Yeah, well, he, he's really keen to do a, um, a hoof-to-nose on a deer, or well, I thought a young Zamba will be, will be good for that. Yeah. Have to write, find me around for some dinner, it's a long way, but it'd be worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got a, I know guy who's got a cool, cool room at home so we can, I can hang up there once I get, get back. You have another week or so, I suppose, to yeah, let well, break down a bit. Yeah, let it do its thing while I'm out west working. Yeah. Anyway, back to our bloody discussion. What, I asked what your hardest hunt was. Now, yeah. what? What do you think your best hunt is?
1: Best hunt. <laughs> again, it's bloody yeah after years of hunting it's hard to say have to put on a, like your money on a best hunt. But um, again sort of when you ask that question there's one that comes to mind pretty quickly and that's going back a couple of years now with my, my father and, and my uh, one of my older brothers. We had headed away on Father's Day weekend. Um, so it's pretty handy when your dad's a hunter so you can still get away and hunt on Father's Day rather than be stuck at home, (laughs) which is good. So we went away together, Um, me my brother and my dad. My dad actually headed up there uh, on the Thursday night, so he had a hunt on Friday and and I um, I couldn't head up until the next day because of work and school and stuff like that, so me and my brother headed up the next day and we rocked up to camp probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night. sort of driving up all, all afternoon from Melbourne and Dad was already asleep in the swag and he's woke up when we got there and he, he goes, pop the boot. Um, so pop the boot of his car and Dad had already had a nice stag that he'd shot the first afternoon um, sitting <laughs> in the car. So it was, you know, we're pretty happy that on the Father's Day weekend, Dad was lucky enough to take a stag. It's, yeah, he doesn't get as much as he used to these days. So, um, yeah, no, it's good to see him taken an animal and then we spent the next couple days all doing our hunts and doing our thing and um, it was on the Sunday, the Father's Day morning where me and my brother had headed out together and I'd hunted this section before and it's an awesome section, a lot of deer and beautiful country to, to walk in but you've got to be walking the right spot so I told my brother we're going to cross over this creek and we'll contour on the, um, on the eastern side of this this system and we'll sit about 100 to 150 metres apart and just move through this system, move up into the system and get right up into it. Anyway, i have crossed over this creek and straight away I've lost my brother. I don't know where he's gone. Um, but yeah, I don't know what he's done here. And I've just sort of kept moving on and seen a few deer, got some nice photographs of some mines and whatnot and eventually I thought I better see if I can get him on the radio. So I've sat down and turned on my UHF while having a bit of like a, a bit of breakfast probably. 9:30 in the morning, or something like that. And I um, got through with my brother, and he just starts yelling at me. <laughs> he's saying that I've sent him in the thickest shit spot he's ever seen. That he couldn't walk, and it was too bloody thick. And he was actually back at the car. <laughs> 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 I'm there trying not to laugh, but um, you know, trying to think of where he can go that he can still have a decent hunt. You know, because the morning's getting on. And, uh, he's making that much of a racket on the UHF, I was pretty sure he was gonna spook anything that was close to him at the time. So I'm <laughs> oh, bloody telling him another gully that's probably only oh, a couple hundred meters away. It starts only a couple hundred meters away from the gully that I was in. And um, I said to him it's worth having a look up there and it's there's a lot of sign. I've seen a fair few here. I haven't had much of a chance to walk it myself yet, but you can uh, just yeah, you know, by the lay of the land and, and that sort of area there. You can tell that system's going to be quite good. Sent him up into there and said it's worth having a look and he sort of calmed down a little bit. And I've put, turned my UHF on, kept drinking my up and go, which I was, I was drinking, and coming up from that little, little creek in front of me, I could smell the smell of running stang. So um, I was just sitting down. I've, I've got up on my knees and looked into this little creek below me and there's this dad walking straight up the creek towards me, only 20 metres away. Lucky I had the rifle right next to me there. As I flicked the safety off, it was that close, he heard me flick the safety off. I put it on the fire, and he's just, you know, stood perfectly broadside, 20 metres. I lined the crosshairs up on his neck and I, boom, dropped him on the spot. Bloody beauty. Um, nice neat sort of 23 24 inch stag um, mature animal and it's one of those heads that people talk about that they they sort of they don't seem to cast because they they get so well rubbed out Um, so it's a bit of a theory that not all stags cast every year anyway just after I've let my shot off I've heard another shot echo off in the distance and we weren't aware of any other hunters camps around or anything like that where we are hunting and you know, I even thought to myself maybe it was an echo of my shot you know, as you do when you're hunting with a partner if anyone takes a shot you generally turn the radio on so I've got turned my radio on i got a hold of my brother and he goes oh did you shoot and I said yeah but I think I heard another shot I go, do you shoot and at first I thought he might have even let a shot out out of frustration
0: because <laughs> he heard my
1: <laughs> shot so he might have been that pissed he he's um, he just let a shot off because he's annoyed that you know, they can send him off somewhere else. And um, anyway, he goes, oh, Yeah, I did. I go, What'd you shoot? I thought maybe it was a hind or something. And then I shot a stag. So it turns out what happened was once I shot where Alex was walking, um, Alex is my brother. From my shot, a stag that was bedded only 80 meters in front of Alex was alerted and stood up. Oh. So Alex was walking along, didn't realize that the stag was there. And from the um, from my rifle, um, the echoing of the shot, he sort of you know got a bit wary and stood up. And then my brother seen him, lined him up and shot him too. So we both shot a stag with him. Would have been within four or five seconds of each other. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool to sort of yeah got some photos with him, cleaned him up and and packed him out to the car and met my brother. And then I went in with him and gave him a hand, took some photos for him. And, um, we got some photos together of our stags and then packed those back out went caught up with dad and um, yeah it was a pretty, pretty memorable hunt to share with your family you know like that's another thing like hunting always been to me a, a family, family thing because we've always done it together and you know there's been countless trips that have gone on, on me my brothers and my father and all that sort of thing so um, yeah it's definitely one that we always talk about and, I always give my brother a bit of shit saying, if I didn't shoot, he wouldn't have shot that stag anyway. So <laughs> he's, um, yeah, he's lucky at, at the way it all worked out. But yeah, no, at the end of the day, it's, it's good just being away with your family. It um, doesn't have to be the biggest stag, you know, like it, that's not what it's about at all. And, uh, it was just, yeah, definitely an awesome, awesome hunt, Remember forever. How big
0: was
1: them stags? Yeah, the curiosity? Yeah, so the one that I shot, um, if he's not 23, he's 24, I don't, don't know if I'm even going to take over him, um, and then the one that Alex shot would have been about 22 inches, so, just, um, Alex's stag's probably three and a half to four and a half years old, and my stag would have been probably that year and a half bigger, a year bigger, sort of around that four and a half, five and a half, so, um, yeah, so, Let's nice neat stags, we've got the capes and that, so, and always take out plenty of meat. We've got dogs at home, and, and we eat plenty of Samba ourselves. So it's always, um, yeah, it's always put to good use. Having met plenty of family, have plenty of mouths to feed at home, uh, means the meat never goes to waste. So. Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, did, did it come about that like sambar is like your thing? Like that's like the species that you boys making effort to go after. Yeah, um, over so, o- other things. Yeah.
1: I guess being born in Victoria, we're lucky to have them, so to speak, at our doorstep. Like, I can hunt samba within an hour from home, although I don't. I still travel, you know, in excess of four and five hours regularly um, every weekend, basically, to, to hunt samba. But it's also just, you know, I have hunted all of these six deer species in Australia, uh, and they're awesome to, you know, it's good to mix it up and and see the contrasting landscapes in different country. but with Samba, it's just the level of difficulty to find that mature animal. Now, Hinds these days aren't as difficult to find, but you know, in a lot of areas, it's still very difficult to find a stag, and, and um, as we spoke about it earlier, finding a mature stag is so difficult. So for me, it's the challenge that a Samba brings. Uh, that's what keeps you going back, and I need them week in, week out. You know what I mean? Nearly every year, I can't see when things are gonna change, maybe when I have to settle down I've got some kids running around and a house mortgage um, well, to pay off, but um, yeah, at the moment that's pretty far away. So <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's one of those animals that you, you can't just keep on hunting. I guess like chital deer is one of those species that I love when I go up north and, and spend a few weeks hunting them. Um, but for me, that's sort of when I've done that couple of weeks or, or whichever, or maybe you know one or two trips for the year. I'm pretty happy with you know my effort on the um, Whereas for the Samba, you know, it's yeah, two years straight you can you can do it and um, not get sick of it because more than likely uh, um, you're not going to find that stag that you want that quickly. So it's um, you just got to be out there as much as you can and that's going to give you the best chance. It's time in the bush. That's yeah. Then you just hope for a bit of luck. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, for me. Samba. is. Um, yeah, different level, I guess, a couple of the other deer species. What's the biggest samba that you've got? Yeah, so the biggest samba I've got, um, shot him a couple of years ago, probably only in a couple of months between that last hunt that I just told you about with my brother and my dad, um, in the same sort of area, too. Actually, he's just over 31 um, on the short, 32 on the long, and his width is just over 30, two, I think pushing 33. Um, I haven't measured up for a little while. And last time I didn't, I actually got someone to measure him up for me. So, yeah, he's one of those stags that you, yeah, you're just lucky to come across, I guess. Again, it's a difficult hunt, but um, yeah, one of those ones that sticks with you forever. Although we always do say it's not all about shooting a big stag, as I've said before. It is nice to, sometimes you have that luck, and get to shoot a big stag. Um, I'm sure you know yourself, you know, sometimes it's always nice to be able to take over a nice set of antlers. And yeah, that stag is he's my best samba. I've shot a few other animals that are probably more mature than him. Um, and maturity, that's always sort of the underlying goal when you're shooting for a trophy animal, is shooting something that's mature. But yeah, there's been plenty of opportunities that I've had, probably in this last 24 months, on big sample stags, sort of that 28 to you know 31, 32 inches long, um, that I've I've either shot and lost, or I've shot at, or I haven't shot but seen. Um, so yeah, they're they're out there, but that's what yeah keeps you going back. Never shot that biggest one. Um, After holding that head earlier this year that we spoke about before, you know, it's given me more drive to sort of try and find that, his brother maybe or something like that, or try and find something of that quality. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's always nice to shoot a nice big stag. you know, it's good to put him up on the wall and, (laughs) um, yeah. My dad's got quite a few heads at home that he's he's done a lot of overseas stuff as well, so he's got moose, caribou, elk, and all that. Um, so he takes up majority of the house, but I managed to get a little bit of room to squeeze up a few deer here and there, which
0: is good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, speaking of international hunts, yeah, what would be your would your dream big game more that oh, you have to hunt before you die? Like, <laughs> yeah, obviously, it's a, yeah, because if someone asked me that question I couldn't answer it yeah because it's a combination of the country of where they are the, the, the habitat that the game live in yeah and, and I can't I can't narrow it down to one yeah yeah it's uh it's yeah
1: bloody tough um you know straight away I think of my dad he's he loves predator animals so for him that uh, hunt is a grizzly bear in Kempchenna, Russia but um for me, I love rut hunting. So every year, in the rut, I take you know up to 20 days off, whatever I've got on at the time, and I just hunt the ruts. So for me, um, elk in the rut, in a bugle hunt uh, on elk, whether it's in um, you know the northern states of America or you know, up in Canada somewhere, or even in Mongolia, um, you know, hunting a, a bugle uh, on elk. Uh, on a good block would be something that I reckon, um, yeah, the most amazing experience. I I've gone through a stage where every day I was just researching as much as I could and, and reading everything I could about an elk bugle hunt, and I remember staying up late at night, you know, twelve one o'clock in the morning, watching, you know, hunts. It's good there's a lot of bow hunting footage on the elk because obviously their seasons in, in the USA are generally um, only bow only during. Google. Yeah, so, in some, the United States, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of awesome footage of big mature bulls up close, bugling their heads off, and you know, getting yeah, to see them fight and, and all that. I think that's um, that would be one of the, the ultimate hunts. How about yeah
0: for yourself? What do you reckon? You've been over to the USA? You did your white tail hunt? Yeah, I um, did. A, I this, did yeah. white tail hunt in Illinois, and that was an adventure in itself. Just because of like, just because it's a different way of life. Yeah. Like in terms yeah. of their hunting style, like hunting out of blinds, tree stands. But like this.
1: Yeah, my father said the same thing. Actually, you know, they, they do have a. well that's yeah. I think you have those full-on hunters there as well. Where so many people hunt. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of different styles, and tree stands are the massive one over there, from what um, from what I hear. Yeah. So.
0: One of the things that when I was there, it sort of. It never really crossed my mind. Was they got a hard on for Buddy? Scent stuff.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. Got like scent block or oh, Buddy getting the scent yeah, of yeah. out of your clothes and all that sort of thing. Like when I was, yeah, I I was with. I the E. had, had Buddy shampoos and stuff. All that, like in the washing room, and that to go on your in your clothes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then like, you know, other guys will bring that, their own stuff with them. Yeah. And being an Australian, I like do like spot-and-stalk hunting and, or glassing and whatnot, it's just, you just use the wind. Yeah. Like, it's just something it's just something I've, I've never had to think about like using, covering up your scent and whatnot. Yeah, it's yeah. funny you mention that. It's, um, it's, I agree with you
1: 100%. I actually worked with a guy who um, moved over from the States, and, and he used to do a fair bit of white tail and deer hunting he was telling me he used to um, bury his clothes in the in the yard, his hunting clothes, so that they, he wouldn't bring them inside or, or anything like that, so he wouldn't contaminate the smell. He wanted them to smell like like the bush, natural, you know. So he uh, he never washed them, but always left them outside and, in the bush and buried them. And, and um, not exactly what, what lengths he went through to make sure you know, they weren't covered in dirt or whatnot, but, uh, yeah, quite interesting um, different sort of ideas that You've, so it depends how you grow up and what you're used to it. You know, they've obviously got um I suppose it works too, like it's probably something worth giving a go here and
0: see how you go. But, so. Yeah. And back to the what's my dream game at why? again I, I can't pick. Yeah. It's more like it's, there's a lot of places I, I, I like to go, particularly the Yukon. Yukon, yeah, okay. yeah. Like Yukon Moose and Muddy Mountain Caribou actually if I were to think about it and if I was a rich, richer man there's something about a door sheep that catches my interest <laughs> um, yeah
1: Yukon like, uh, you know, again speaking through my father's words he's he's been over there three times to the Yukon so he absolutely fallen in love with uh, the Canadian um, hunting and particularly the Yukon vast wilderness like you know you drive hundreds of kilometres between anything and uh, yeah, not just towns, it's literally hundred between anything at all, any sort of form of civilization. And yeah, that moose hunt that you usually talk about, he actually flew in on a light passenger aircraft, the um, ski planes, landed on a remote lake two hundred kilometres from the nearest nearest anything, nearest town, fuel, whichever. Stay there for end up being fourteen days, um, and hunted out there. They had a little canoe kayak sort of thing with a little motor on it, where they'd fish out of the river and yeah, the fishing—even the fishing was just amazing. Yeah, you know, just one fish after another. They just got all they needed to eat, but fishing was amazing. Um, and yeah, he sort of talked about it in the morning, being in the canoe going along the edge of the uh, the lake, and you see a big bull moose they actually coming in, feeding the feed underwater in the um, whichever sort of grasses it is. Uh, and yeah, just picturing something like that would <laughs> be amazing to see, I guess. So. Yeah, um, yeah, all the wildlife they've got over there, like, I think, you know, it depends, because we we're we not used to it, so you, you look at it differently, but, like, they, you know, Americans think for us kangaroos and crocodiles and all those sort of animals, and we're always thinking about their bears and, you know,
0: bears. i will to be honest, I did lose my shit when I saw a squirrel. <laughs> I got I was excited to see my first squirrel. Yeah. And then they were looking at me as though like, was weird. Some difference, so... Yeah, something different. It shouldn't. You shouldn't
1: be scared of something different. I think it's exciting, different stuff. But, you know, uh, particularly like wildlife. You know. uh, so a bit of a story about that flying hunt that I'll pass on is when my dad did that. They had a choice. That there was two two ski planes there. There was a red one and a white one. Now uh, both of them were charted out to do drop-offs my dad was there first with his couple of mates who they were hunting, hunting together. And my dad had a choice of which plane he wanted to choose to fly in with. Now, my dad sort of, you know, a bit of a joke, said, oh yeah, there's a red one, it's the faster one, we'll take the red one. Um, you yeah, know, no real reason behind it, but just felt like that's the one that, you know, just chose the red one, I guess. They flew in and um, the plane would coming to pick him up was a couple days late and flew back at it. It actually turns out that the other plane, the, all the passengers on board, uh, as sad as it is t- t- to say, they actually uh, passed away. They had a, the plane had a failure, and yeah, in country like that, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of, they, they went down, and unfortunately no one survived from the accident. But, you know, obviously my dad was extremely lucky in, in that sense. On the way back, he um, he noticed that the body language of the pilot was a bit bit strange. He was sort of a bit on edge, a bit nervous. Um, you know, this guy was a, an older guy that had flown for years in this sort of country, and he, you know, he knew the plane and all that. Uh, my dad just thought it just didn't seem right. And it turns out when they landed, the there was an actual uh, an issue with the magneto on the plane, which is one of the most important components of an engine, and they were having issues with that. And, they actually flew the whole way back uh, following over rivers. So that way, if they did have an engine failure, they could go down and land in the river. So, um, yeah, the pilot didn't tell them that until they got back to civilization. But, but again, that's a pretty, uh, just one of those experiences that you're faced with when you're, you're doing hunts like that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah, very lucky, I guess, in that sense. But they made it back in one piece. and had an awesome hunt too, it did take a beautiful bull, um, bull moose with that hunt, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, you, what's your rifle choice here? my understanding that you use the one rifle for, all the game that you hunt. Yeah, yeah, pretty much
1: so. Uh, the calibre is a um we we'll test their magnum. And, well, I'll be honest ever since I was maybe 12 or 13 and started hunting, I started shooting, you know, game with 3 through because my dad always taught me that rather than have 10 or 12 different rifles and whatnot and, and not really be familiar with any of them, it's you're um, you're better off having one, two rifles that you're familiar with and you're comfortable with and that you shoot often to increase your uh, your efficiency. So, I've used the 338 for a number of years now. I've um, started out using my dad's actually, and I've got my own um, Remington XCR2, so yeah, I've enjoyed using that. At the moment, I've just picked up 100 projectiles to load up, um, now we do a bit of reloading, and um, yeah, it's sort of, in theory, all, all the bullets these days do their job. And, uh, it's it's more or less a mental thing I think what you've had your success with uh, you sort of enjoy using that a bit more but they all, all do, in my eyes my opinion, they all do the trick and, and even with calibers, so I've had good success with a 338 over the years but uh, in saying that I have shot you know Samba with a 270, I've shot him with a 308, I've shot him with a um, 300 with a 3.75, I used, you know, arranging calibers and, and giving them a go, but uh, it's just preference I guess, the 3.38 for me, but um, yeah, again, you know, on all deer species, when you're a trophy hunter, you've got to go through the same process, whether you're shooting a, a 2.43, or if you're shooting a 3.38, you're still going through the same process, lining up that animal, uh, as long as you're comfortable, it's um, the way I see it, you'd rather have more than less. And, and um, you want to, you know, kill that animal as quickly and cleanly and as efficiently as possible. So, uh, every little bit of firepower you have behind you helps with that
0: and, um, yeah, you've got 3-3 at the moment. Yeah, no? that's, that's where we, that's what I shop, um, the, that's what I shop, got here with me yeah. this weekend me, is me Winchester XBR338. Yeah. And well, that's that was it's buddy, christening pool. <laughs> always nice there. to get your first one, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've had it for months and i bought it specifically for Samba.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I reckon you'll find over the years you'll you know, you'll sort of find one rifle that you really like and suits you and, and like I've done you're probably sort of making your go-to so whether you're going overseas or you're going Samba hunting or you know doing a red, red hunt in the raw you'll um, yeah, there's always a go-to or preference. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, No, beautiful.
0: Anyway, I think that's about wrap us up.
1: Yeah, we've just rocked back up at home now, so we'll finish packing up the gear, and it's a Sunday afternoon, so we'll be heading home today. Both of us got a fair drive home. Um, and, yeah, I think that's it until next weekend. We'll
0: yeah.
1: Probably back up and do it the same again.
0: No one knew, yeah. <laughs> um, people. You do a bit of writing for Australian D-hunter, mate? Yeah, over the years I've done a bit of riding with them and um,
1: a couple other mobs, but, yeah, it's always nice to do a bit of riding here and there.
0: Yeah, so you can find his work in that, and I'm pretty sure you find him on Facebook, Facebook. just to annoy him.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's always good to share stuff with people, and, yeah, you know, most people are pretty good about it and, and enjoy having a look at, at other hunters' photos, and, you know, I'm always more than happy
0: to share my stuff with so yeah that's what it's all about in the day yep all oh, right thanks for let, let me go hunting with you and Lump. doing the podcast
1: not a worries mate we'll be doing another hunt soon i'm sure so
0: oh about it um, beautiful you can't just do one <laughs> thank you for your time mate yeah thank you we'll catch you again see ya